Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. Welcome all of you here that uh, uh, normally are, are somewhere else and coming here this morning. It's, some of our people are gone and some of you are here and we're glad you're all here this holiday as we traditionally celebrate the last holiday of summer. However, the weather's going to seem like summer's still here for a while. We're talking in, uh, particularly in Colossians, about the mystery of Christ as he finishes up this chapter. The Christ is all in all. All wisdom is in Christ. Everything in Christ. He holds all things together. And if a person does not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, if they're not familiar with him at all, they really have no real wisdom whatsoever. For the Bible tells us very clear in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and fools despise wisdom and knowledge. And fools in the book of Proverbs is always speaking of unbelievers. So the world has its own philosophy, has its own theory of all th how all things go, but it's deceptive. It's a lie. Truth is in Jesus Christ. And to really know him, and to really know truth and wisdom, you must know Jesus Christ. So he's been talking about this, and we find the, the verse that we have this morning, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifest to his saints. We need to give you a little history on this, I think. We realize that Christ has many blessings for the church as long as, as the church remains faithful. The world in which you live and its philosophies and over the years, for the last 2,000 years, the deception has come in and we have a broad term, the church. And it can be anything from soup to nuts, literally. It can be anything from just having a church to actually having a church that really still believes the Bible is the word of God. In fact, if you look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, we find that there's a caveat here which needs to be uh, understood. He says in 1 Corinthians, or 1 Colossians, excuse me, 1 Colossians in chapter 23, he makes this statement. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you've heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. In other words, the church of Jesus Christ is a church which belongs to every believer. But over the ages, Paul makes it clear that some are going to fade away, and some have fade away. In fact, Jesus in his ministry said, the church has tares and it has wheat. And you can't tell a difference, at least some of you, uh, of us who were farmers and had a little wheat, which is a strange word in this part of the country, but you didn't know the, you didn't know the rye from the wheat until harvest. And when harvest came, you could see the rye. But up till then, it all looked alike. And people in churches all look alike. But there are some who are playing the game, who are making profession and really don't have possession in the sense that they've really believed in Jesus Christ. They may have made a profession at some revival meeting or a profession at their mother's knee, 
but it was just that, a profession. And when the test of time came, they fell away. And so that is why Paul is saying, if you continue in the faith, the true believers, like we just talked about and introduced to you, we know they're true believers because they stood the test of time, they stood the trials that came, they stood, withstood the temptations that were there, and I can tell you they were all there as they are with all of us. The question was asked or raised in our Bible study this morning, uh, have you ever had temptations? Yes, we have. All of us have had. In fact, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, that we are, have the shield of faith and we are to stand the fiery darts of the devil. He keeps giving them and we have the shield of faith where we believe the word of God and the darts come and fall down. And so it's that shield that keeps us there. And he says, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and stability of your faith in Christ. Realizing Paul had never been to this church. He'd never associated with this church. He never had a church dinner with these people. He didn't know them, only what Epaphras had told him. Now we pick it up in, uh, in the verse and we read that they are going to fall away because latter times will come. Turn with me quickly to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse uh, 1 and 2. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses uh, 1 and 2 in this passage. The Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared with their own conscience as with the branding iron. Before the church goes to heaven, before the rapture of the church, the church is going to have a great falling away. And I believe we're seeing that apostasy already. And it's not going to get any better, quite frankly. And so Paul reminds the church that they ought to pay attention for the fact that there's going to be deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Remember this, there's no neutral ground. You're either, you're either following Christ in his word or you're not. There's no such thing as some middle neutrality ground that you can float in. You've got to make up your mind. Remember what Jesus said to the church at Laodicea? I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold. But because you're insipid, I'll spew you out of my mouth. I think Jesus would want us to make up our mind one way or another. Are we going to follow the Lord or are we not? And in these latter days, it's becoming clearer and clearer who's following the Lord and who's not. What church is in it and which not is. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, we read, You therefore, beloved brethren, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the air of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't fall into that trap. The philosophies are out there, and they're many. Now, in verse 26 of Colossians, we have this saying, This is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, 
but now has been manifest to his saints. This is a continuation of the thought that he brought up in verse uh, 26. According to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. What is that stewardship? In some Bibles, maybe in the old King James, I didn't look it up, but probably in some Bibles that word is translated dispensations. It is economy. And I, I think the best way to explain that is to say it's house rules. You know, every one of us have a private home or close to it or we live in one. And we all have house rules. My house rules may differ in your house rules. And even your own children's house rules differ than your house rules. Certain, some people come in and they come into our house and they immediately take off our sh their shoes. That's not one of our house rules. You can wear your shoes in our house if you come. But some people have that and some people have other house rules in their own home. They differ from time to time. For example, when you first got married, you had your own house rules, but as soon as children came, then you had different house rules. Same house, same people, same understanding, but as the children became juniors in uh, later grade school, you change, your rules changed again. When they become high school and teenage, they changed again. And when they become college age, as soon as they graduate, they changed again. Out. So you have different rules, different economies. Well, in God's administration, in God's ruling over the earth, he had different administrations. He didn't change the way of salvation. He didn't change the way that we are to worship God with all our heart, mind, and soul. He didn't change any of that. But he did change his ways of working with men. For example, Adam and Eve who were in the garden before they sinned, that was an entirely different administration. Christ walked with them in the garden. After Adam sinned and from Adam to Noah, it was a different, a different way God dealt with them. No law. There was no law then, no commandments then. And what guided them was nothing more than their inner conscience. And they violated that to the point that God said before the flood, I, I'm tired of man, I'm going to kill the whole works. Man, woman, child, and all the animals, with the exception of Noah and all the species of the animals, a pair which fits in the ark. After the flood was over, God said, okay. Because of the murder and the crimes and the vicious ways of having things, I'm going to establish a government. Man is going to be able to take man's life who commits first-degree murder. The government has the right to, for capital punishment and take their life. After that, God dealt with a family of the earth called Abraham, his sons Isaac and Jacob. And he said, this is the family through which I am going to present myself to the world. But they have to learn some things. So he put them in captivity in Egypt for 400 years and this family of 70 grew into two and a half million and Egypt was tired of them and they were tired of Egypt and God led them out by Moses Pharaoh wouldn't let them go but God sent the plagues and finally Pharaoh said get out of here and they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground Pharaoh changed his mind and God wiped out Pharaoh and his army and gave Israel the law. 
Up till then, there was no Ten Commandments. There was no law. They only walked by faith in Him. Then God gave them laws how to worship, how to live, how to farm their land, how to deal with other nations, gave them all of these things, and they became a nation. And they're known to us as Israel. And if they followed the law, they would be okay. If they would stay true to God, God would bless them unbelievably. But you know the way I'm at. First thing you know, they're in captivity for 70 years. The nation split. Then they were in captivity for 70 years, came back. A handful came back. And then again, they strayed again. And God said, okay, I, since you guys can't rule yourself, I'm going to give you a king. He's going to rule and he's going to reign and he's going to fulfill all that I promised you. The king came, born of a virgin. The king came and presented his message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they killed him. One day on a Sunday as he walked into the city, they praised him, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord who comes in the name of the Lord. And then before the week was over, they said crucify him. And as we read this morning, they buried him. But he rose again. And the message now, instead of the Gentiles going to Jerusalem to worship with the Jew, said go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I got a new paradigm here. When people get saved, they get together in a flock. We call it the church. And as long as the church remains true, God will bless and use it. Spread the gospel all over the world. And what happened to the church starts waning away. To the point we are even having churches today that are discussing whether it's valid to have a homosexual preacher or not. That's how far we sunk as a church. Not all churches, of course. We thank God for Bible-believing churches that are scattered all over the world and in our U.S. of A. But he says to us, I have been preaching according to the stewardship from God, the mystery which has been hidden in verse, verse uh, 26, which has been hidden from past ages and generations. You know, in the Old Testament, they never heard of a church. They never heard of the fact that Jews and Gentiles would be one in the body of Christ. That we'd all have the same footing before Christ. This was a mystery hidden from past ages. Now mystery in the Bible is not something mysterious. It is something by which God did not reveal to the people. He didn't reveal the law to the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He did to Moses. And he didn't reveal to Moses and all the previous generations that there would be such a thing as a church where Jews and Gentiles would be together. It was a mystery. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.7. I think I have it on the board. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery hidden from the wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Now, God knew there'd be a church. He just didn't reveal it to him. It wasn't his time and place. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. They didn't know that in the Old Testament. 
Abraham and Isaac looked for a city whose builder was maker and fuller of God, but they did not realize there would be a translation of believing saints from life and death and resurrection to meet the Lord in the air. That was a mystery to them. But now it has been made manifest to his state, to the saints. We know now this, and we appreciate it, and we're thankful for it. I mean, this is our hope. When you look at the way the world's going and everything's going, I mean, and you get up to a little older in age where I am, and you say, oh, come now. Remember, my dad was dying, and I told him, you got about four months to live. That's what the doctor told us. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I'm still hoping for the rapture of the church. Well, he didn't make it. But whenever that comes, and uh, Jack made what I thought was an interstatement a couple weeks ago to the elders. He said, we're waiting for the rapture of the church, but there's a couple dominoes that need to fall. You've all had, I don't know if you did it or not, but we used to take dominoes and set them up. And we hit them and they just go to the end. There's a couple dominoes yet to fall. One is, for the church, it has to get even worse. The apostasy has to get worse. Can you believe that? And the second thing is for Israel. There has to be war. War will come to Israel because the treaty will be made with Israel. Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and following. And the church is waiting for the fact that there hardly be anybody yet who still believes that this book is God's word. You're in the minority. I'm in the minority. Churches that are preaching this are far in the minority. Many churches today are playing a game and have adopted the world's philosophy and nothing more than uh, uh, therapy sessions in their ministries. So he says, but now has been manifest to the saints. It has now been made clear. This mystery has been made clear. I'm, I'm just going to give you a brief where this, how many mysteries have been made known to us in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 11, verse 25, we read, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel and the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Jack is in, in Israel. Is that an easy ministry to witness there? He cannot witness legally about Jesus Christ to a Jew. There are more atheists in Jewish per capita in the country than any other country in the world. Why? There's a mystery. Because of their refusal to believe Christ, to accept their king, God has hardened the hearts of the Israelites that only a remnant of Jewish people will be saved in every generation. It's so rare we call them Jewish Christians, which is really a misnomer, because once they become a Christian, they're one with us. And we with them. Romans 16.25 now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has now been kept secret for long ages past. Now we know the ministry of Jesus Christ. They knew a Messiah was coming in the Old Testament. 
But they didn't know all the ramifications of it until after his resurrection, until Paul revealed it. 1 Corinthians 2, 7. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. That glory is that you and I, when we became Christians, we became one with Christ. We were sealed by the Holy Spirit. We were placed by the Holy Spirit into God Himself, Christ Himself. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I told you a mystery. We shall not all be seen, sleep, but we shall all be changed. And we will all be changed when Christ comes. They didn't know that or recognize that. Ephesians 1, 9. He's made known to us the mystery of His will according to the guided intention which he purchased in them. What do we know about the future? What do we know about God's plan? So much more in this particular age of the church, this stewardship of the church, these house rules of the church, we know far more than they did in the Old Testament. In Ephesians, uh, in Ephesians 3, 4, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Who don't know about that? We know it now. How much do you know? How much do you know about the mystery of Christ? What do you know about what he has for you and what he has in store for you? You know, have you taken the time during a week and just browse the Bible and see what's going on? I hope you're not one of those Christians that come on a Sunday morning and hope somebody will speak something that thrills your heart a little bit. And so you can say it's good to have been here. I hope you're in the Word. And then he says in Ephesians 3, 9, And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which has been hidden in God, who created all things. All things are in Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. What does that mean? It means this, that the spirit that catapults the Antichrist into power in the end days, that spirit is already at work. That philosophy, that deceitful philosophy is already at work in the world. And the world, I mean, I mean, I look at it now, the world is looking for a leader. We don't seemingly have a leader, even in our own country, in the world. It's absent. And in 1 Timothy 3, 16, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness, who was revealed in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. They didn't know any of that. They know a Messiah was coming. They know that he would be crucified. They know that he would rise again, but had no idea how all of this would play out. You and I have that. You and I have that privilege. To whom God, in verse 27, we read the content of the mystery, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of his glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles. To whom God will to make known. Now, Paul didn't invent this stewardship, these house rules, this dispensation. 
Paul didn't invent that. God made it known to him. This is not something suppressed upon the Bible by apostle or by theologians afterwards. In fact, the people who do not believe in dispensations will tell you that uh, the reason they do believe in dispensations is they take a too literal of interpretation of the Bible. Uh, thank God, that's what I did. I take the Bible literally, understanding their figures of speech. I understand there are, are uh, all kinds of similes and metaphors that are in the Bible, and I understand that correctly, as you do in English land, language. If I come to you and I say, we had a rain last night, it poured cats and dogs. Do you, do you take me at my word, literally, and say cats and dogs came from the sky? You know, that's a figure of speech. And we have other figures of speech we use all the time, and when you hear it normally, you understand it. When Jesus said, I am the door, I don't think of a, a door, however tall it is, five by three, and about this thick, I don't think of that, but I understand what he's saying. He is the way into the truth. When Jesus said, I am the light, I understand that he's not like a light bulb, he's not like some kind of beam somewhere, I understand that in the light of what he is saying, he is the light compared to the darkness that's in the world. It's a literal translation. For the, but, but here is the mystery. For the Gentile to be accepted by God, he must accept God of the Jews as the real Jehovah in the Old Testament. But even then he was obligated to participate in temple worship, but behind a wall. So if you were living in the days of Christ and John the Baptist, and you became a believer, and you believed that Jehovah was a God, he was a God of Israel, he would save Israel, he'd bring the kingdom to Israel, and you believed all that. And you would say, I need to go to the temple three times a year. And you would go to the temple, but you couldn't go on the temple grounds. You were a Gentile. And there was a wall that said, no Gentile shall pass behind this wall. So you were always considered a second-class believer, so to speak. That's a big deal. But when Christ came, he broke down that wall. You have perfect access to God through Christ. No high priest, but Christ himself. And you and I now have a high priest who represents us before God, who has been tempted in all points like his will. Whatever your problem, whatever your ailment, whatever you have, you have a suffering high priest. You say, well, I don't have any friends. What does Jesus say? Neither did I. Well, I was broke. Was he broke? He was broke. He didn't even have a house. Foxes have no holes, he said, and birds of nests, but I have no place. And I don't mean him homeless in the kind of thing we think of homeless, but, in, but he was homeless. He stayed with friends. And he's experienced all the heartaches. He's been 
You know, you say, well, I got stuck in the back by a friend. So did he. I had friends that didn't understand me. So did he. And any little problem you and I may have, you go to the Savior and you offer yourself in prayer and you, as you were, reveal your mind, how you feel about things. You have a Savior who's sympathetic. They didn't have that. In fact, they found it kind of unusual, didn't they? When Jesus said, our Father, which art in heaven. They hadn't heard that. They prayed to God. They did not learn. And they said, teach us to pray. You're talking to your Father. Teach us to pray. And he started out with our Father, who is in heaven. A relationship which they did not fully understand. But... Look at Ephesians 3, 5 to 8. I think I have it all on the board. It says, Which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of his power. Folks, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you become one with Christ. Christ is in you. And furthermore, we are his bride. That's more than you can say about Israel. We have a higher position than Israel did because of a, we have been called to be his own. What a privilege that is. And he says, to me, the very least of saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. How rich are we? Now you may say, well, I just have a small farm, or I have a small business, or I work for a living, or I sell something, or I'm just a housewife. I just raise my children at home. I don't have a, a big thing. But you know what? You have the unfathomable riches of Christ as a believer in Christ. That's why we ought to sing with enthusiasm. That's why we have joy in our hearts. Look what Christ has done for us. Look at all the things he's blessed us with. I think sometimes as I pray, I, I'm, I'm reminded I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I look over my past life and I see what God has done in spite of me. For some, what God has done through some of you this morning. And I think, man... That's all done in spite of me. God has used me in spite of who and what I am. He's used his word and he's used his spirit. What a humbling thing. What a humbling thing and what a powerful thing. God's word and what he's done and how he's enriched us. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 he says, For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments 
contained in the ordinances so that he himself might make the two one new man, thus establishing peace. Oh, you're a Gentile follower of Christ, he said in the Old Testament, or of God. You can come to the temple, but you can't go beyond this wall or you're liable to be killed. You can't go. You can get so far, but not close. Well, that law has been broken down. When Jesus came, he kept all the law perfectly. He was qualified to die on the cross as an innocent human being having lived up to every jot and tittle of the law. And he paid it in full. And God was free then to give us his righteousness so that I stand before God completely justified. And I'll tell you, there's some days I'm not really feel like I'm justified. And some days I don't even live up to that justification. But I go to the Word of God, and when the fiery dart says, you're not qualified to do this, I put up the shield of faith. Falls down. What a, what a riches we have in Christ. Which is the riches of his glory in you. The hope of glory. The very essence of salvation we have. Everything that can be a glory. All that Christ could give us at the point of salvation, he gave us. Lewis Berry Chafer down at Dow Seminary, when he wrote his eight volumes of systematic theology, listed 36 things which God has done at the point of salvation for you. Later, years ago, uh, Robert Gramacki wrote a book, Salvation is Forever, and he lists 84. And I think if somebody else would write the book, they'd find more. It's unlimited what God has done for us and the gift he gave us in salvation. It's not just an eternal fire escape. It's just not peace of heart and mind. It's much more. It's much more. We've only tasted probably a little bit of it, right? We've only seen just a small part of it. And the longer you're in the Word and the more you know the Word, the more you see the riches in the, that come. And the peace of mind, peace of heart, and stability and steadfastness that it builds in your own heart. A faith, a confidence faith. And you know what that is? That peace of mind and heart. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. Think of that. In Romans chapter 8, verse 10, we read, If Christ be in you, the Spirit is alive. I don't think that's necessarily capitalist, but the Spirit of the human being is alive. If Christ is really in you, you have a hope and aliveness which nobody else has, in spite of the fact they want to shut down your stoves and put electric cars in, and in spite of all this nonsense that is going in. Gas rising and we're shutting down wheel drilling. Unbelievable. And you look out and you say, this, a lot of this is nonsensical. But, Christ in you, 
You have a hope beyond all that. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Jesus Christ in you, unless indeed you fail the test. Oh, Christ in you doesn't mean the tests are over. The tests come to prove your worth. To make you stronger. You know, into every life, a little rain must fall. And you're not going to escape it. Rain's going to fall in your life. Troubles are going to come. And you're going to wonder how you're going to get out of it. But let me tell you, if you remain steadfast, unfaithful, always abounding in the work of the Lord, and lo and behold, He works it out. He works it out. Galatians 2.20 Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by Christ, faith, the Christ, the Son of God. Christ lives in us. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Not only does the Holy Spirit dwell in you, but Christ also dwells in you. So when you die, what happens to Christ and the Holy Spirit? Takes you with him. To glory. You're sealed forever. You're in him. Christ doesn't come and go in you. Holy Spirit doesn't come and go in you. He's there forever. And you prove it because you walk with him. Furthermore, we read this. Christ in you is the guarantee of our future glory. Colossians 1.5. Go back to that verse we've talked about several weeks ago. Colossians 1.5. Here it tells us what it says. i got to believe in him. It says in this verse... Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of what you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as in all the world, is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. Wow, the hope of glory. He's reserved for you in glory. Now, a hundred years from now, where will you be? You can say it out loud, where will you be? Oh, that's weak. <laughs> Not sure. You will be where? Where will you be a thousand years from now? How about a million years from now? You'll be alive. Isn't this 70, 80 years or more worth putting up with a little bit of suffering and a little bit of harassment in light of what you're going to be? A million years from now, what are you going to think about these 80 years or less here? What are you going to think about that? You know what you're going to say? Thank God I was saved. Thank God I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I repented of my sin. And I came to him. And I said, Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. 
And what did he do? Wait till later. What did he do? He saved you at that moment. For how long? Five minutes? Till you didn't feel like it? Whosoever believeth in him has what? Eternal life. Now. And death is only the step from this earth into his presence. We don't even fear it anymore. We know that God is with us. That is the hope of glory. That's what Paul is preaching. And that fully was revealed in the age in which we live. Don't be deceived by philosophies which he'll bring up in the next chapter. Let us stand for prayer. Our Father and our God, we come to you this morning. We pray that every person here knows Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. And we pray for those that might not know him who are deceived by the world and are enslaved by Satan. And their only hope is riches, some presentable thing in this life, and have an under fear of death itself, not knowing what the future is. Lord, they can know. And the Holy Spirit can teach them, not me. And I pray the Holy Spirit will convict them of sin, of righteousness and judgment. And bring them to the cross where they repent of their sin and place their faith and trust in Christ alone. And so, Father, I pray that that decision will be made this morning. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.